Amen. Really, what we taught in the first session is a perfect lead into what we want to do this morning. Um, the purpose of our Bible is that we might know who God is and that we would know what we have to do to be saved and then how to live for him. And so today we are going to talk about knowing who God is. Amen. You may be seated. And the last time I was with you, I taught on the oneness from the Old Testament. And today I'll be teaching from the New Testament primarily. Uh, but I have a book called Judgment Against the Gods. And this book uh, really has all of the oneness teaching that I do is in here. Uh, you can get a copy of this after service. This is $15. If you buy this one, you can get this one for five. This is stories from Nigeria, miracles and things that happened while we were over there. But actually, I, this is the one that will help you understand the Godhead and will also help you to be able to witness to other people about the Godhead. Amen. All right, well, we want to just pick up from where we, we left off last time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When God created the heavens and the earth and created Adam, Adam was not born with a Bible in his hand. Adam had no Bible. And God chose to reveal himself to Adam and his descendants primarily through his name, and then later through his word. And so in the beginning, God, which in the Hebrew is Elohim, God created the heavens and the earth. And so Adam knew that God was the creator. And Genesis 2, 7 says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now, everybody would agree that this God and this Lord God are one and the same God. But this God, when we use Elohim, we're referring to him as creator. When we use Lord God or Yahweh God, we're referring to him as the God who has special relationship with mankind. And so we went through several names and titles. There's over 100 of them. Uh, we're not talk, we won't talk about all 100. We could, but praise the Lord. When God spoke to Abraham, he told Abraham, I am Adonai. I am your master. I'm the boss. So I created you. I have relationship with you. And I expect you to obey my word. And then in Genesis 17, he tells him that I am El Shaddai. I am the almighty God. So again, we have creator, relationship God, the boss God, and the all-powerful God. Uh, nobody in this room, even your Trinitarian friends, none of them would tell you that this is four different gods. Everybody would agree that this is one and the self-same God, but using different titles to tell us more about himself. He said he was Jehovah Jireh, which is he is our provider. In Exodus, he said, I am that I am. And he was basically telling us there, I am whatever you need me to be. 
I'll be your healer, I'll be your peace, I'll be your comfort, you fill in the blank. Whatever you need, I am. And then we went on, and uh, in Isaiah 7 and 14, he said that he was, uh, or in, in Isaiah 43 and 10 and 11, said, I am your savior. And so we have seven of them. And then he said, I am Emmanuel, which is God with us. And I am uh, the child and the son that would be born in Isaiah 9-6 goes on to tell us that he would be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And ultimately, at the end of the day, the Lord spoke to Mary and told her that she would give birth to a son and she would call his name Jesus. So where we finished last time when we talked was that all of these names and titles, and again, we could go, there, you know, there's over 100 of them. We picked out nine of them. But if we took all of these names and titles, they all can be expressed in one name. When I say Jesus, I've said Elohim. When I say Jesus, I've said Lord God. When I say Jesus, I've said Adonai. When I say Jesus, I've said El Shaddai. When I say Jesus, I've said I am that I am. When I say Jesus, I've said Savior. When I say Jesus, I've said Emmanuel. When I say Jesus, I've said Everlasting Father. When I say Jesus, I've said it all. Amen. Every name... Every title we have of God in the Old Testament is pointing to the name of Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 11, when we read about the heroes of faith of the Old Testament, it said, these all died in faith, having not received the promise of God. The promise of God was that he would reveal himself to his people and that he would tell him their, his name. In the Old Testament, all of the Hebrew people understood that they did not know the full revelation of God's name. So we, we can read where Jacob is asking God when he wrestled with the angel, what is your name? If Jehovah was his name, if Yahweh was his name, he wouldn't have to ask the question because Yahweh and Jehovah had already been revealed to him. Uh, we also see Moses asking the same question, what is your name? And God told him, well, my name is I am that I am. And I think you would agree I am is not a name. Two personal pronouns, two singular personal pronouns. He did not say we are that we are. All right? If he was a triune God, that would have been the place to say we are that we are. But he said, I am that I am. I'm the only one. In Deuteronomy 6.4, the central tenet of ancient Judaism is the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The Lord was telling us in no uncertain terms, I am God, there's nobody beside me. You shall love me with all your heart, mind, and soul. You shall teach your children about me in the morning, in the afternoon, at bedtime. They should hear about me throughout the course of a day. And then he said, I am a jealous God, and I will not share my glory with another. Amen.
So every name, every title that you will read in your Bible about God is embodied in the name of Jesus. In Colossians 2 and 9, it said, In him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Uh, my Bible tells me that I was made in his likeness and in his image. I am one person. I am one person. Somebody will tell you you're a body, soul, and spirit. I may be a body, soul, and spirit, but I cannot set my body down over here and my spirit down over here and my soul down over here. Wherever I go, it all goes. And wherever God is, it all is. And God is everywhere. Amen? There is no distinction of persons in the God of Israel. What separated Israel from every other people in the Old Testament was they were monotheists. They believed in one God. Everybody else had a pantheon of gods. They were polytheists. They had multiple gods. Uh, it's interesting that when uh, the children of Israel were backslidden and they went to war against the Philistines, uh, they thought that if they picked up the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence, if they took that before them in battle, that they would win the battle. Well, unfortunately, because of their sin, God didn't let them win the battle. And the Philistines got the prize. They got the Ark of the Covenant. But when they took it into the temple of their god, Dagon, their god fell before the Ark of the Covenant. Even in his own house, Dagon wasn't God. God is God everywhere, all of the time. Now, we can understand this even in a, on a personal level. Uh, you all, everybody in this room has multiple titles. I am a father. I am a son. I'm a grandfather. I'm an associate pastor. I'm a missionary. But wherever I go, all of it goes at the same time. But when I'm with my son, I act like a father. All right? My, my role would be different with my children than it would be when I'm standing here in front of you today. Now I'm acting as a preacher. So, but wherever I go, all of me goes. I didn't stop being a father when I came up here. Now, some people say that there are three persons in the Godhead, and they want to call them God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I submit to you today that, first of all, the terminology that defines this union is non-biblical. You cannot find this in the Bible. You cannot see ever where God is identified. There are three persons in one God. God is not a person. God is an invisible spirit, amen, who put on flesh for the purpose of our redemption, amen? And so when we say God the Father, which would be biblical, but you cannot say God the Son, the Bible never says God the Son. Anytime you read that expression, it's always Son of God. It's referring to the flesh of God and Spirit, God the Spirit. Now, it says that they are, there are three persons. God is not a person, and he's not three. There's only one God. Hear, O Israel, 
The Lord our God is one Lord. James 2.19 says, uh, the devil believes in one God and trembles. Even the devil knows there's only one God. And so, I, uh, if, I'm not sure if we did this the last time I was here, but when uh, we talk about the Father, the Father is holy. And the Father is an invisible spirit. So that makes the Father the Holy Spirit. So you don't have three persons in one God, you're down to two. And then my Bible tells me that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Amen? And so the children of Israel, they never, you know, when you, uh, the children of Israel only recognize one God. And the reason that Jesus was crucified was because they told him, you are a man trying to be God. And he said, no, I'm not a man trying to be God. I am God who became a man so I could shed blood for your sin and I could save you. Amen? So he wasn't a man trying to be God. Did we do the tabernacle thing when I was here the last time? No? All right. In the tabernacle, everybody remember the tabernacle in the wilderness. Everybody here is probably familiar with that. I hope. Okay. So in the Old Testament, the children of Israel had a tabernacle or the church in the wilderness. And they had furniture in that tabernacle. There was a a uh, brazen altar where they would sacrifice animal. There would be a brazen laver, a place where the priests would wash. And then into the holiest of holies would be the Ark of the Covenant. Inside of this, you know, inside of this little setup here, actually we should do this the other way. We'll do this is the brazen altar, the brazen laver, then the holiest of holies. And then in the holy place, there was a golden candlestick. There was an altar of incense and there was a table of shoe bread. Now, if you look at this, I don't think it's too surprising to see the shape of a cross. God was already telling us what he was going to do when he gave Israel the tabernacle. He was already revealing the Old Testament truth of who he was to the Hebrew people, even if they didn't understand. Now, every Jew came to God the same way. They came to the brazen altar. They had to offer a blood sacrifice to come to the Lord. The priests had to wash before they could minister in the tabernacle uh, and at the brazen laver. And then only the high priest could enter into the holiest of holies on the day of atonement. Every man, every woman, every child in uh, in Israel came to God the same way. It didn't matter if their name was Isaiah, if their name was Ezekiel, if their name was Daniel, if their name was Moses, everyone had to come to God the same way. We know that this is death, that this is washing, and this is uh, really the resurrection. This is the, the presence of the Lord uh, emanating from the holiest place. Only the high priest could enter into the holy place. 
And so every man, though, that came to the Lord had to bring a sacrifice. The priest would wash to minister there. And then the high priest, one day a year, the Day of Atonement, would come into the holiest of holies and push the sins of Israel or atone for the sins of Israel one year forward. So every year their sins were put a year forward and then another year. But they were never completely remitted because an animal's blood will not save you. John the Baptist, who was called the greatest man ever born of a woman by Jesus, said, but you'll be greater than him because even John the Baptist had to come this way. But the reason I'm telling you all of this is because Jesus did not come this way. Jesus did not come from the brazen altar. Jesus came from the holiest of holies. He came down from heaven. He was baptized not because of sin, but as an example to you and to me that we had to be baptized. Then he went to the cross so he could shed blood, innocent blood, for you and I, so we could be saved. So he was not a man trying to be God, but he was God who became a man so you and I could be saved. Amen. And so everything that God is, is in Christ. Now, when we come to the New Testament, you must realize all of the apostles were one God-believing Jew. Peter, James, John, Andrew, uh, you know, Bartholomew, Thomas, every one of them were one God-believing Jew. And so when the Jews said to Jesus, you're a man trying to be God, he said, no. He said, I and my Father are one. I and my Father are one. I'm not part of God. I am God manifest in flesh. Now, when Thomas saw, well, when the disciples saw the risen Christ, Thomas said, who wasn't there, he said, I won't believe it until I see him with my own eye, until I can take my hand and put it in the nail prints, thrust it in the sword wound in his side, then I'll know that he actually rose from the dead. So we call him Doubting Thomas. But the fact is, anybody that would have witnessed the brutality of Jesus' death and burial never would have thought that man would have come out of a grave. And so Thomas said, I don't believe. But when he saw Jesus, when Jesus appeared to him, Thomas, a one God-believing Jew, fell to his knee and he said, my Lord and my God, my Jehovah and my Elohim, my Savior and my Creator. Now I get it. Now I get who you are. I know you are God. Now, in the New Testament, uh, the Lord tells us when, the, when Jesus comes, people do not understand who he is. He took three years to actually spend revealing himself onto mankind. And so in the New Testament, which is where most of our questions come from, because we talk about Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, all right? But Father is speaking about God as the invisible spirit of God. And he, Father is a term of relationship. 
He is our heavenly father. Spirit is what God is. God is an invisible, omnipresent spirit. And son refers to God coming in flesh. So just like I'm a father, uh, and I'm a son, and I'm a pastor, all right? Jesus was the father and the son and the Holy Ghost. Jesus was the Father and the Holy Ghost manifested in flesh. The Bible says that Jesus was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. How could he be touched with the feelings of our infirmities if he didn't become a man? How could Jesus ask us to live for him without sin if he only lived in spirit? How he could never fall. But no, he put on flesh to dwell among us to show us that we can live a victorious life. Amen. Amen. Now, the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And we know that animal blood can't save you from your sin because it's inferior. We know another man's blood can't uh, save you from your sin because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So God said, even before the foundation of the world, before I ever created the heavens and the earth, I already knew the lamb was slain. All right? Speaking of him coming in flesh to dwell among men so he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sin. God never violates his own word. God never asks of you that what he will not do himself. He never asks of you to do what he would not do himself. And so he came to dwell among us that we might be saved. Now, when we talk about Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, again, we're talking about three roles that God uh, shows and actually we could show we could put all of those we could if we had a hundred cups we could put all a hundred names out here plus all of the names and titles when he appeared to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 he appeared as the provider he provided his need but when he appeared to Moses in Exodus chapter 6 he appeared to him as the redeemer as the savior for Israel but he was the same God. When Jesus comes, we need to understand that he is both fully God and fully man. If he is not fully God, the temptation means nothing. I'm sorry, if he's not fully man, the temptation would mean nothing and neither would the crucifixion. He was a real man. He really was tempted. But he never, when he became a man, he never ceased being what he had always been, namely God. Remember when Nathaniel comes to him and Jesus says to Nathaniel, uh, here is one in whom I find no guile. And Nathaniel kind of mocks him and says, well, how can you say that you don't even know me? And Jesus said, I knew you under the fig tree. The only way Jesus could know Nathaniel under the fig tree is because he is God and he has an omnipresent spirit. He knew his heart. He knew where he was. 
There was nothing about Nathaniel that was hidden from him. Now, when you read your Old Testament, and I'm going to just go to uh, John chapter 3 and verse 16. Everybody here knows that verse. It is the most preached verse of scripture in the Bible. It is the most famous. You see it at every football game, every baseball game. Somebody feels led to put that up on a poster. But for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. So they want to say that God number one gave God number two. And that God number one, if we believe on God number two, then we would have everlasting life. But we already read in the Old Testament in Isaiah 43 and 11, I, even I am the Savior, and beside me there is no other. The name Jesus means Jehovah is become salvation. All right. Now, in Isaiah chapter 12, uh, in Isaiah chapter 12, it said, Behold, let me get it so I quote it correctly. In Isaiah 12, and verse 2 and 3. It said, Behold, God is my salvation. Okay, everybody follow. In him will I trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He has also become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall we draw water out of the wells of salvation. The word salvation means Yeshua or Jehovah. So now let's read this. Again, behold, God is my Jesus. You can replace the word salvation with Jesus. Behold, God is my Jesus. In him will I trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah has become my Jesus. Amen. Therefore shall I draw water out of the wells of Jesus. That's what he told the woman at the well. You, I will give you water and you'll never, ever thirst again. So when they want to tell us that one God sent another God, first of all, there are at least 17 times in the Old Testament that child sacrifice is forbidden. God told Israel, if you ever sacrifice your babies, your children, I will cut you off forever. You will not come back from that one. So how could the God that told Israel not to offer their child as a sacrifice would create a second person that you could kill? If I told you I loved you so much, and I know that you've been guilty of a horrible crime, and it will take the death penalty... Some of you know Andrew, my son, and I say, I love you so much, I'll let Andrew die for you. You can kill Andrew. All right, several of you in here know my son Andrew. You can kill Andrew. Would you call me a loving father? No. God never said that. He said, for God so loved the world, 
He gave his only begotten son. He gave his own flesh. Every time you read a verse of scripture that seems somehow hard to you, where you see the word son, replace it with the word flesh, and it will be much clearer. For God so loved the world, he gave his own flesh, that whoever believes on him, whoever believes that the Spirit God put on flesh for the purpose of redemption would have everlasting life. That's why Jesus said, except you believe I am he, you're dead in your sin. If you do not believe I am the Father, you are dead in your sin. You can't be saved. You can go to church, pay your tithes, sing in the choir, but if you don't know and believe that Jesus is God and beside him there's no other, you can't even be saved. In Acts chapter 4, it says there's only one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We know that name is Jesus. And that name of Jesus is applied at baptism. Amen. So when we talk about the Son of God, we're talking about God in flesh. It's interesting that those that quote John 3.16 tell you, you know, the first mistake is they think God number one sent God number two when there's only one God. And then the second mistake is that they say, well, you only have to believe on him and you'll be saved. All right? Belief alone will not save anybody. In John chapter 3 and verse 3, can you put that one up? 3 and 3. In John 3 and 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, said, except, all right, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Amen? Verse 5. Now, in verse 3, he said, if you're not born again, you can't even see heaven. You're never going to see it. But now he goes further. Verily, verily, I send you, except a man is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Everybody with me? So if you don't, if you're not born again, you cannot see or enter the kingdom of God, and here he tells you how it's done. You have to be born of water and spirit. Water is, everybody knows, is baptism. Spirit is being filled with the Holy Ghost, and when you get the Holy Ghost, you'll speak another tongue. Amen? We're not asking God for tongue. We're asking God for a spirit. When you get a spirit, you'll get the tongue with it. When I go buy a shoe, when I go buy a shoe, I don't ask God, I don't ask the shoemaker for this piece. This is the tongue. I don't ask him for that. I'm trying to buy the shoe. When I get the shoe, the tongue comes with it. We're not, we're not seeking tongue. We are seeking God. When we get God, we'll get the tongue. Amen? So he tells us, now leave that up there. He tells us that you must be born of water and spirit. You cannot be half born again. If you're baptized in Jesus' name, but don't have the Holy Ghost, you're not born again. You got a good start, but you're not born again. If you have the Holy Ghost and you're not baptized in Jesus' name, or if you're baptized and don't have the Holy Ghost, you're not born again. 
You have to be born of water and spirit. Now, some people tell us that being born of water is washing of the word. All right? They take it from Ephesians out of context. If water is figurative there, everybody follow me. If that doesn't mean what it says, if water is figurative and it's talking about the word, why didn't Jesus say, you must be born of the word and the spirit? If it's figurative, if water is figurative, then spirit would have to be figurative. So we know here he is actually talking about water and spirit. Then in verse uh, 7, in the same chapter, Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And then he says, marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. So you cannot, with any honesty, go to John 3.16 and say, I only have to believe. If you believe, you'll be born of water and spirit. If you don't believe, you won't be born of water and spirit. Amen? God always requires us uh, an action on our part. I'm not talking about works. I'm not talking about works. When you got baptized, there's nobody in here that thinks that when, you know, some of the Nigerians, they were afraid when they got, they wouldn't get baptized in a baptismal tank because they were afraid that the person that went in before, their sins were in there, and that now they would be covered with that person's sin. So they had to have running water. So they'd go into some polluted stream that you wouldn't even touch. But anyway, all right. So there's no, everybody in here knows that that water is symbolic. And when you get in that water, you know that that water is not what removes away your sin, but it's your obedience to the word of God. And this is when the blood of Christ is applied to your life. When you're filled with the Holy Ghost, it is not a work. When you repent, it is not a work. When you make your heart right with God, it is not a work. It is an act of faith. You wouldn't repent if you didn't believe there was a God. You wouldn't repent if there wasn't sin in your life, if you didn't recognize sin in your life. That is an act of faith. Baptism is an act of faith where you know that that sin must be remitted. Now, repentance and baptism go hand in hand. They both, you know, it, uh, you know we say remission in Acts 2.38, but it's the same word that's translated forgiveness in every other place. So repentance and baptism are the same thing. They, that is where your sin is forgiven. You must repent. You must be baptized in Jesus' name for your sin to be forgiven. Everybody would agree that you can't go to heaven in your sin. And then he tells them that then you will be filled with the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all them that are far off. Amen. Amen. Now, so he tells us you have to be born again of water and spirit. And then he says, of course, you have to believe. If you don't believe, there's no point. Pastor already quoted Mark 16, 16 this morning. 
He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Then it doesn't say anything about baptism. It says, he that believeth not is already damned. If you believe, then you'll be baptized. Amen? If you don't believe, baptism wouldn't do you any good. So there's no mention of baptism in the condemnation. Amen. Now, I want to show you, we need to go back just for a minute to, again, Jesus is both fully God and fully man. As a man, as a man, he had to sleep. As God, they woke him up in the boat, and he calmed the sea. All right? The man was sleeping, but the God calmed the sea. As a man, he was hungry. As God, he fed 5,000. As a man, he was thirsty. As God, he said to the woman at the well, I'll give you water, and you'll never thirst again. And so when you have a question about the Godhead, you need to ask yourself, is Jesus speaking as God or as a man? In the first miracle that Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee, everybody knows that they were at a wedding feast and the wine ran out. And Mary said to Jesus, the wine is gone. And Jesus said, Woman, what is that to me? Now, I don't know about you, but if I ever called my mother woman, she would have slapped me across the face. There is no way she would have taken that. But now Jesus is speaking as God. Woman, what is that to me? My hour is not yet come. But as a man... He honored his father and mother, and he turned the water into wine as God. In obedience to his mother's petition to help us out here, he, he helped her out. As, man, as God, he said woman. As a man, he submitted to his mother. As God, he turned water into wine. When Jesus prayed in the garden... Was one God praying to another God? Now, just think about the foolishness of this. All right. So if you're saying that this God prayed to this God and they're co-equal, well, then that can't be. If this one is praying to this one, he's not equal to this one. If this one prayed to this one, you no longer have a three-in-one God. You have at least two God. Now you have polytheism. You actually have idolatry. Amen? When, so when Jesus prayed, he prayed as a man. But as God, he said, you know, he said as a man, he said, let this cup pass from me. But as God, he said, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. Amen? And so he raised himself from the dead. As a man uh, on that cross, he said, Father, you know, uh, why, you know, why have you let this all come upon me? Even on the cross, don't I get a break? But as God, he, or as a man, he had to take all the sin of the world upon him. And so when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That was the flesh talking. But as God, he raised himself from the dead. 
Remember when they arrested Jesus? When they arrested Jesus, what happened? Those that arrested him, they, they, he said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. When he said, I am he, they've dropped to the ground. Those men knew right then and there they couldn't arrest this man unless he came willingly. They knew right away this is not an ordinary man. We've never, ever encountered this. As God, his very voice brought them to the ground. But as a man willing to be the sacrifice for our sin, he submitted to what would happen in those next three days so you and I could be saved. Now, I want to go to a couple places, and I don't even know where our time is. How much, what time do, are we done here? We're done at 3 p.m. Okay, praise the Lord. I, I'll try to wind up by 2.30, okay? All right, Isaiah 40 and 3. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. Ac okay. Actually, you know what? Can you give me uh, Matthew 3 and 3 first? All right, and then we'll go back to Isaiah 40 and 3. So, for this is he that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. All right? So he's saying, Prepare ye the way of who? The Lord. Which Lord? What's his name? No. Prepare the way of the Lord in Matthew. What's he saying there? That's, that's Jehovah. Prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of Jehovah. Whose way did he prepare? Okay, go to uh, 40 and 3. All right, the voice of him that cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. There's Yahweh. Everybody see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's Yahweh or Jehovah. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God, our Elohim, our creator. And when John the Baptist introduced Jesus, what did he say? I am the voice of one that prepares the way of the Lord. I'll make his path straight. Amen? Who is Jesus? Jesus is that God of the Old Testament. When John the Baptist was arrested and was, would soon be put to death, he asked his disciples, he said, go back to Jesus and ask him if, uh, if, if he is the Messiah. Think about John the Baptist, 30 years old, has a six-month ministry. He's arrested. He knows he's going to die. When he saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which take away the sin of the world. Remember, Jesus, Mary and Elizabeth are related. So Jesus and John the Baptist knew each other. But John's eyes are now opened up. And he says, This is the Lamb of God. This is the substitute God is sending for our sin. This is the sacrifice. And, but when he's now faced with death, He's thinking, did I live my whole life for a six-month ministry and I introduced the wrong one? And this is what Jesus told him in 
Matthew chapter uh, 11, verses 2 to 5. Matthew chapter 11, 2 to 5. When John had heard in the prison the work of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto them, Are you the one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered, Go and tell John these things which you do and see. Now, he could have just said, Go tell John I'm the one. Simple answer, simple question. But he doesn't tell him that. He tells him, I want you to tell him what you hear and what you see. The blind eyes are open, lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised from the dead, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. Go tell them that. Why did he tell them that? Because it's fulfillment of Isaiah, uh, Isaiah chapter 35, 4 to 6. Making. And the ransomed of the Lord, uh, verse 4 I want. So to them that are of fearful heart, be strong, fear not, your God, your Elohim will come with a vengeance. Even Elohim with a recompense, he will come and save you. So Elohim will be our savior. Next verse. Verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Verse 36. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb will sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, streams in the desert. So what Jesus did, he quoted directly from Isaiah and told them, I'm the one. I've, I've opened blinded eyes. I've healed the sick. I've raised the dead. You should have no doubt who I am. You introduced the right one. Amen. Zechariah, which we probably really don't have time to do all of these, but in Zechariah chapter 12, all right, this is the prophecy concerning the Lord's return. And let's look at verse 10 there. Well, actually, what are we going to do? In Zechariah, it says that God will come and save Israel. Then it says the Lord will come and save Israel. And verse 10, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. So God is talking to them. The Lord is talking to them. And he said, they will look upon me, whom they have pierced. Who did they pierce? Jesus is both Lord and God. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn son. We know that the Jews rejected Jesus. And what did they say? when he was hung on the cross, when they were screaming out, crucify him, crucify him, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. And God answered their prayer. By just 40 years after this event, after, what, after Jesus' crucifixion, Jerusalem was completely leveled by the Roman general Titus. There was not one tree left standing. Everyone was cut down to crucify a Jew. 
And from that time to this, the Jews have been the most persecuted people in the world. Doesn't matter where they move to, where they run to, God answered their prayer, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. But that verse said, but when they look upon him whom they have pierced, when they realize what they have done, they will call him and he will come and save them. Amen. All right, John 8 and verse 19. John 8 and verse 19. All right, then they said unto Jesus, where is your father? They're asking him, where is your father? So they have in their mind that he's here and the father's someplace else. Where is your father? Jesus said, you neither know me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father because I am the father. All right? Go down to verse 24. I said, therefore, unto you that you shall die in your sins. For you, if you do not believe, I am the father. If you don't believe, I now remember, the question was, where is your father? He said, if you don't believe, I'm he. If you don't believe I am the Father, you shall die in your sins. You can't be saved. And in your Bible, I am will be, will be capitalized in some of your Bibles. That you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am that I am, if you don't believe that I'm the same God that spoke to Moses at the burning bush, you're dead in your sin. The I am that I am, and the he, the he is referring to the Father. If you don't believe I'm the Father, you cannot be saved. Amen. In uh, the same John chapter 10, in John chapter 10 and verse... Uh, Verse 25. All right, actually, do, do 24 first, okay? Then came the Jews round about him, and they said to Jesus, how long are, do you make us doubt? If you are the Christ, if you really are God, I want to know. If you're the Christ means Messiah. If you are the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, tell me. Verse 25, I told you, and you don't believe me. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. You don't have to believe for the body you see in front of you, but believe for what I've done. But you believe not because you are not my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Keep going. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Jesus said, nobody will pluck them out of my hand. Now the next verse. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. They said, well, we see you, and we see your hand, but where is your Father, and where is your Father's hand? And then Jesus said, I and my Father are one. 
the next verse. Then the Jews took up stones to stone him. Next verse. Many good works have I showed you from my father. Why are you going to stone me? The next verse. We're not going to stone you for your good work, but you're guilty of blasphemy because you, you are a man and you make yourself to be God. And he said, no, I and my father are one. When you've seen me, you've seen the father. Amen. Even the Jews understood that Jesus was claiming to be God. They didn't believe it, and they crucified him for it, but they understood what Jesus was saying. Amen. In John chapter 14, we know that Thomas said to, or, uh, Philip said to Jesus, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm not a chip off the old block. I'm the block. I'm the real thing. I'm God manifest in flesh. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in flesh. All right? Justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached on to the Gentiles, and received up into glory. Amen? Jesus is God, and there is no other. And that's why we baptize in Jesus' name. Amen? When Jesus said, when Jesus said, go into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, the Father's name is Jesus. Jesus said, I have come in my Father's name. The Son's name is Jesus. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. And the Spirit's name is Jesus. Amen? And so when we baptize, every time I baptize, I do baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost when I baptize in Jesus' name. I do baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost when I baptize in Jesus' name. Acts 2 and 38, Matthew 28, 19 are saying the exact same thing. Amen. I'm a father. I'm a son. You know, I'm a grandfather. All right, but I have a name. If I called father to come forward today, you would come. You would come. You would come. All right. Well, you know, if I want a certain father to come, I'm going to call him by name. Amen. God has a name, and his name is Jesus. He did love us so much, he didn't send a secondary God or a second person. He came himself and willingly put on flesh. And he said, not my will be done. I don't want to die that brutal death on the cross. But not my will, not the will of the flesh, but let the will of the Spirit be done. I'll willingly go to the cross so I can shed my blood so you and I can be saved. Can you say amen? And I'll call the other father, Calhoun, praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord for Brother McLean.
We appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Beautiful lessons, beautiful truths. Let's stand together in this place. Lord, we thank you for the wisdom and the magnificence of the mystery of the Godhead. Lord, it is not a mystery that we cannot understand, though, and many will say that. Well, you just can't understand the Godhead. The Godhead is in Christ. All the fullness of God is in Christ Jesus. So when we look at you, Jesus, we see love. We see compassion. We see fulfillment. We see grace. We see truth. We see compassion for those that no one else would reach to. We see you stooping down in the sand and lifting the head of a woman that no one else gave grace to. And in this moment, right now in this room, maybe there's someone that feels like they have fallen too many times. But Lord Jesus, you came from heaven to get them. You stooped low to lift their face and to look them face to face and say, I still love you. I want you to be saved. I want you to be redeemed. I want you to be rescued. I came as a heavenly rescue mission. And even if the world does not see God in flesh, even if there's people in this world that have not seen the revelation of the oneness, I pray right now that revelation falls on a mind and falls on a heart. Let the Holy Spirit reveal that God was in flesh, reconciling the world unto himself. That God reconciled the world unto himself through Jesus. Jesus Christ, and that is how he chose to do it. The death, burial, and resurrection is our salvation. And Lord, I pray you lift somebody up today, even listening online or here in this room, that you lift them from where they have been and let them put their faith and trust in you, that you're a God that came and took care of everything. Lord, I trust you in this moment. I believe in you. I lift you up. I magnify you. I adore you. I extol you. I make you known among the heathen. I call upon your name. I will shout your name from the rooftops. I will live my light among men. I will set myself as a city on a hill. I will let men know that you are God and you are the God alone who can save. And Lord, would you remind us the beauty of that salvation today? Would you find a place to pray for a minute? Would you just take a moment today? The altar's open and would you just... Come and worship the God who came for you. Would you just come and lift him up, Lord God? You you lifted us up, and, and, and by coming and dying on the cross, when you said you'd be lifted up, you draw men unto you. Do you need a pickup today? Do you need him to wrap his arms around you and lift you up? He's already done it by dying on the cross, because when he was lifted up and he conquered sin forever, he picked you up with him. So would you just come and spend some time in the presence of the Lord being thankful Showing him some gratitude. Let gratitude open a door right now in your life of salvation. Let gratitude open a door right now of hope in your life. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, this altar's open. I don't know if they're going to sing a song or what they're going to do right now, but whatever they do, just focus on the Lord. Just focus on the Lord for a minute. Just take a moment and focus on him. Come on, the altar's open. If you need to leave, that's fine. But I think there's some folks that want to spend some time in God's presence just thanking him. Come on, 
if there's people that want to lift him up, he's going to be here. If we want to linger in his presence, he's going to stay here. He said, I am with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Lord God, there's been some people on the journey in this house. There's been people looking to a destination different from where they've been. But remind us, God, that it's not just the journey and it's not just the destination, but it's the company that we keep along the way. And you said, I am with you. I am for you. I am helping you, God. Remind us that today. Help us, Lord Jesus, to remember that you are here. You're the God who came. And though you came back in spirit form, you're our comforter. You're with us. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Comfort your people today, God. If there's someone that needs comfort, you're the God who's here. You're the ever-present help in time of trouble, Lord God. You're present in this place. And I'm thanking you, Lord God, right now for doing only what you can do, the work only you can do. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, cry out unto the Lord. Let the voice of the Lord be heard. Let us praise him. Let our voices be heard to the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. As I lead you in this prayer, I want you just to take over and just begin to see the Lord high and lifted up in your life. If you want to lift your hands and close your eyes, just see him high and lifted up on the throne. You are my everything, and I will adore you. Come on, somebody, exalt the Lord right now. Exalt the Lord. If you're physically able, you can stand and lift your hands. If not, you can lift one hand. Whatever you've got to do, let heaven know that you have full praise for the Lord, that you have full thanksgiving for the Lord for all he did. He came and told us, and you have a full praise for him today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Flashes of lightning, rolls of thunder. 